What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. How are you doing out there? I am fired up for this conversation. I'm joined by Dan Mills, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Wistia. We're talking about the biggest obstacles companies face in publishing new video and tips and advice to overcome hurdles along the way. He is a really insightful guy, and I've enjoyed meeting him, learning a little bit about his story at Wistia and why he operates how he does. It's really good stuff. I learned a ton from him. If you like what we're doing over here, hit the subscribe button. More importantly, tell a friend that you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Also, are you a creator out there that's looking for a place to consolidate your work and distribute your content? We are given access to our creator pages, new product we're working on at The Juice. Link in the show notes. Sign up for the wait list. You'll be hearing from me. We'll be giving access soon. All right, enough plugs. Let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I am excited about this topic, and I was telling our guests before we hopped on that we are just starting with video over here at The Juice, so I'm going to be a student in this conversation. I'm going to ask the questions, but I will be learning just like all of you out there. I'm joined by Dan Mills, who's the VP of Marketing at a company I'm sure you've heard of, Wistia, and we're going to be talking about the biggest obstacles companies face in publishing new video content and tips to overcome these hurdles. Before we dive into the conversation, Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Very, very excited to be here with you talking about all things video. And I hope I hope that I can help. I hope I can help. I'm, I'm sure you can. And I, I know Wistia has a phenomenal brand and I know you have been responsible for a lot of that work. But just in case someone out there has not heard of Wistia, do you want to kind of give the high level? This is what Wistia is and this is what we do? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's so great. I, you know, this always feels like a good test for me. I feel like I haven't had the elevator pitch in a while, but Wistia, yes. uh, Wistia is a video software platform built for business. Um, if you're a business and you're out there and you're looking to host videos, you're looking to get great analytics on those videos, you're looking to collaborate with people in your business and how you manage those videos, you're looking to distribute them, or perhaps you're looking to connect them to your, your marketing tech stack like HubSpot or um, Marketo, Wistia is the place for you. We've, we are sort of marketers who love video and we've built a platform that is designed for, for marketers who are using video and who love video. I love that. And we're going to dive in, I promise. But just because uh, Wistia is such a powerful brand and recognizable brand, you and your role as VP of marketing, like I know it's probably been a long road and a lot of work to get to this point, but what sort of, I guess, advantages or maybe if there are disadvantages, does it give you as kind of a marketing leader working at a brand that is highly recognizable in the space? That's, I mean, first off, thank you for saying that. I think um, I'm always concerned about our awareness and always want to get our name out there. I mean, it's a really, in one regard, we're super spoiled, right? Like we're marketing to marketers. We are selling the idea that we truly believe in that video can be so powerful for your business. What's great about that is that we have sort of a built-in mechanism for risk for video. And it's sort of where we've gotten... Um, but sometimes you have to be really mindful that not everyone works at a video tech company that you're trying to get um, on board or or succeeding with video. So that would be one of the benefits slash things that I try to be super mindful of. 
Second to that, I, I think because we want to be seen, um, we want we want to be pushing the envelope with video. We want to be sort of testing things out that other folks haven't yet, or finding success in areas that people are interested in. Uh, we can sometimes like want to one up ourselves for no reason. And one thing I think as marketers or even as video producers, like if you find something that works, you should keep doing it. I think some of the mistakes maybe we've made in the past is like we find something that's like what, what's the next thing? We have to keep going. We have to go. We have to go bigger. So I think that is one of the things I also try to keep in mind when working with a brand for Wistia, which can take so much risk and so much experimentation that sometimes it's like, just because you've done it before, doesn't mean that it's time to hang it up and do something new. It's not like you're an artist, you're at a business. If it's working, you should, you should do more of it. So. And speaking of artists, I, I love doing this show and talking with marketers because everyone's background is different and there's no like traditional path to become a marketing leader at a premier software company. It's kind of all over the place. And I think what was interesting when I met you was learning a little bit about your background. So I would love to maybe get you to explain kind of what you were doing maybe before Wistia and how that kind of fed into video and video at Wistia. Sure. Yeah. I have a pretty not traditional marketing background. Um, I studied uh, audio recording and music in school and was pretty hyper-focused in college. And also when I got out of college on being basically the biggest rock star in the entire world, known for folk singing, sort of like a modern day Lyle Lovett is what I wanted wanted to be. And I still do all that, which is lovely. But um, I was really focused on promoting my my band. And, and at the time, that was when like MySpace was still a thing. And when we were, you know, you could start making custom websites, but not easily. And um, the way to cut through the noise was not only through trying to write great music and trying to put on great shows, but like was marketing the hell out of your band. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but that's what I was really trying to do with the album art and the promotion for the tours and all these wild ideas we would cook up to try to basically build an engaged audience of fans. So that's what I was doing. I was living in Brooklyn. I was um, touring. I was involved in musical theater. And so that was sort of my night gig is that I was uh, an understudy in a Broadway show. That's like how I, (laughs) that's what I was doing. Um, And then I sort of got involved doing a bunch of, because I studied audio recording and I had been doing a lot of producing. I started making background tracks for my friend who had a video agency. This is back in like 2009. This is when like the DSLR first like hit the scene and businesses were like, we should make a cool looking video. And so I got started by making background music for a bunch of um, tech companies, videos in the Boston area. That's how it all really began. And from there, Wistia was just one of the clients of my friend's small video agency. And as I was watching the videos, I was like, hey, the script sucks or, hey, this is super boring or I think this could be fun. And before I knew it, I found myself freelance script writing and freelance directing. And then that sort of, without me knowing it, was product marketing. It was developing voice and and brand and tone. I just didn't know it. And that's sort of how I entered video and how I entered the creative side of a tech company, which was Wistia. Because I've, I've been there since around 2010, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> So, so we're seeing like, I think brands uh, make headway in this uh, B2B tech space by putting kind of individuals and the individual creators front and center. And because people want to connect with people and that's the introduction of most 
or how people are getting introduced to new brands these days. I think back at your experience as, as an artist and just promoting yourself. And like, I think about like the band camp artists now, like connecting with fans and building the, the affinity is, is there things that you have learned from kind of those days is like nose to the grindstone. I'm an artist. I'm trying to get it, gain exposure. I'm trying to build fans. I'm trying to get a fan base that, you think are maybe weren't necessarily transferable at the time, but now as kind of the whole landscape has changed, like some of those things you were doing 10 years ago are super transferable to how we gain attention and gain affinity today. Totally. And I, and I mean, if you, if you're someone who works closely with me, you probably are like bored by me being like, I know this might sound wild, but it's so much like music. Um, I think, oh gosh, I don't even know where to begin. I, I, I think a lot of first and foremost would be the way that I work with the teams I've been a part of. And now the teams that I lead is so related to what it's like to be in a band and make sure that you're all on the same page and make sure everyone has a voice and what you're trying to make. And I think that all the people management skills that I had going in started from working with a band and managing just a lot of interesting personalities and situations. Obviously that gets refined as you actually go into formal roles. In terms of like growing an audience, as you asked, one lesson that I think really stuck out with me really early was um, on one of my records, I really tried to write a hit or I tried to write songs that I thought people would love for the most part. It's like a 10-track record. This is an older record of mine. And then there was one little track at the end. Funny enough, I had made this acoustic background track for a video, but I liked it. And I said, this is a cool thing. I, I like the way it feels. And I sort of wrote these lyrics that were, they were really honest. And I, I dare to say this word because it's so overused in business. It was very authentic to who I was and what I was feeling at the time. And I had relationships at the time with, you know, managers and Sirius XM radio was like listening to all the tunes. And I was pitching these songs that I thought were the ones they should check out. And they ended up picking the one that was this little authentic thing that I just sort of bared my soul with a lack of better way of saying it. And that song got picked up and it drastically changed the trajectory for my music. It got a lot of streams. It made a lot of royalties. It, you know, not, not a lot. I wasn't like living in Malibu. I was like able to pay the rent. <laughs> um, and I think that was like a really interesting lesson for me that it's like, you can't quite, you can't just really, you can't be disingenuous. And then second, you have to sort of listen to what people want, like listen to the customer. And you, I found very soon after that, that like we would play that song off microphone uh, me and the three three guys in my band, we'd sing it in four-part harmony at shows. And it was always like the best part of the show. And I was like, okay, I should probably listen to what people like and also be true to who I am as an artist. I think the same really applies to your brand and applies to business. Like you're, there's something about your company and there's something about your product. And there's something about the people that work at your company that make you uniquely you. That's a big piece of how you should develop your brand. The other side is like, what do people want? from you? Where do you stand to, where do you deserve their attention? And if you can pay attention to those two things, instead of only one of them, I think that can make for great marketing. And I think it can make for great art. And so, I, I don't know, kind of a long-winded, heady response, but that's sort of where I would, I would say that lives for me. I love it. No. And I think it's just so important just in our marketing bubble that we look in outside influences or hobbies or interests to influence our behavior and how we do. And I, I'm a big music guy, so I, I I knew you had it, and I just wanted to hear the the kind of the music connection and example. Um, it's, it's value, yeah. right? It's customer value. It's like if you're so focused on 
trying to make blog posts to get traffic, but it's providing no value. Like it's not going to work. You could make 30 of those, but if you make one and you really teach someone something or help answer something, it's it's probably going to work if there are people out there that want the answer and you bring your unique perspective. Um, It's crowded. Don't get me wrong, but it will work better. I'm going to pitch this one your way because I'm interested to hear the band guy respond to it. But like, we are so caught up in this quantity, like over overall in general, it's like more and more leads, more of these, more, more of this. But like at the end of the day, like if you ask a marketer, like, are you creating more, more for quality or more for quantity? They would, they would, everyone would say quality, um, which I think we all based on what we do and how we approach our market could probably do a better job of leaning into like the approach a little bit better, but I'd love to hear just like from the band, the, 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 the singer's perspective, like, you know, you, you obviously, you know, you're doing a show, you want the room to be full, but did you ever think a little bit about like quality of person in the room? Like this person's in the room and they've been at all my shows and they're likely to buy my record and they're like me, likely to follow me on tour as opposed to like just having a room of people at a busy bar who are just there to have beers, but the room is full. Did you ever like, how did you think about that from an artist perspective? Thought a lot about that from an artist perspective. Cause I think um, early on when we were touring and this has to go a little bit into what my music sounds like, but there's a side of our music that's very folky and, and lyrically driven. That's probably like the main thing I work on. But then when you're younger, like, yeah, you want to pack a club and you want to get numbers in there. I do think it, it's it's sort of that product market fit thing. After a while, you start to realize that unless you are really good at that thing of like a really crowded bar where no one listens is actually a really wonderful band. And that band can grow really big and become like a dancey band or go play the festival circuit and really succeed. Um, I knew for me um, after a while that we had the most successful shows, the most engaged audiences, you know, pin drop quiet, buying more merch at the merch table when we were playing sort of the smaller singer songwriter clubs, like um, I know we're getting into music stuff like Rockwood Music Hall, World Cafe Live, Tin Angel. Um, uh, I don't know what's up in Portland, one Longfellow Square, uh, Club Passim in Boston. And so we did make a concerted effort at one point to sort of get away from the bars and go more towards the, the, the audience that, that cares more. Here's the thing though, if you're going to relate it back, I'm sure you're going to relate this back to how does that, what does that mean for content? Correct. There you go. So here's the problem with the quality quantity discussion. I think that, I think it's pretty easy for everyone to get on board that just tons of quantity ain't going to do it. Right. Like we know that, but when you go and focus on quality and when you put that like sort of um, directive in front of creatives, you can get concept albums. Like you can get (laughs) to tie it back to music. It could take a while. People can like really make beautiful, beautiful things. And here's the problem. And I'm, I'm still victim to this in my own art because I'm still releasing music. If you haven't said something in a while, if you're not someone who is topical and someone's following you and you're actively a part of their feed, their, the conversation, their, their like mind space, you can't just show up and just be like, check this out like, <laughs> like once a year or every two years. So I think it, it's not about quantity and quality. I think it's about a consistent drumbeat of quality mm-hmm. and whatever that means. And then you're forced as businesses, as artists, as creators to find different levels of each medium. Like, like, yeah, sure. Do those three huge scope things that you can only do once a year. What's the small scope thing? What's the conversation? What's the tweet? What's the, 
what's the blog post? What's the behind the curtain email blast? And I think that's what is really challenging is how do you make a consistent drumbeat of quality? Well, I'll tell you what, in terms of quality, I think the one thing when I hear the Wistia name, the thing people always point to are is what's happening on the studio side with Wistia Studios. And you know, people, uh, you're, you're creating, I remember being at my last job and someone on my team sending me a video that came from your team and it was fun. And all of a sudden we're having this 30 minute conversation about Wistia. And I would imagine as, as the creators, that's probably the intention that you have. And back to you being an organizer and kind of a, a band and facilitator, like maybe talk a little bit about your role in the, the in the story of building out Wistia Studios, because I, I know I'm a fan and I'm sure others out there are too. Yeah, totally. So back in like sort of 2015, 2016, we had a pretty small video team. It was myself, um, Chris Levine, our head of production. And at the time, Merrill Ayers and Trevor Holmes, that, that was like the four of us that were working on these videos. And w- this was sort of in the bread and butter time, or that's... <laughs> That means nothing to anyone, but but me. this is like sort of in this great time where we were sort of churning out awesome five-minute explainer videos, like here's how to use an iPhone, here's how to do great lighting, here's how to use video to do X. And the market at the time was for video was sort of growing at like a consistent, but not like rapid pace, like to get used to video, it, it took some time. So af- as we started to like other businesses started to make those videos as well. And we and ours weren't seeming like aspirational enough to what they did four years before. When when and that's what Wistia's brand needs to be. We need to be making videos that are attainable. We need people to learn from us, but we also need to show that we can do something really special so marketers will pay attention. Um, that's what we try to challenge ourselves to do. So we decided that we wanted to make something big. What we made was this three this three part or actually four part docu series called One Ten One Hundred. And it was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but we gave Sandwich Video 111 grand and they made three ads. One was for a thousand, one had a $10,000 budget and one had a $100,000 budget. And we made it to launch our new product, Soapbox. So that's three ads, three very different budgets. And behind the scenes, this would be the first Wistia Studios project. We just didn't know it yet. We made a docu-series about how budgets can impact the creative execution of an ad campaign. And then we measure them and like, what did the best? It was this great like conversation starter. And a, one of the most fulfilling creative endeavors I've been a part of is really challenging. It took forever. It ended up winning a Webby award, which is incredible. But anyways, at that time, it got a lot of attention. And that's when we knew and other businesses were starting to do more podcasts. They were starting to do more series like this. So that's when we decided maybe we should build up an arm of the business um, that can do that. And so that was sort of the what I was challenged with, with my teammates to do. Um, what I can say, what I had a hand in was sort of um, figuring out who we needed. And, and one of the most integral people that we needed was a producer. But when you put that name out there, producer, a lot of different people respond. Producer can mean super task oriented, like uh, event space booker, or it could be someone who's great at running around and getting props or making schedules, or it could be someone who knows how to make videos or who ended up walking in after a lot of interviews was who's still with us today, Sydney Rutman, or Sydney Donnelly, I should say, who is a development producer from reality TV. And she had a background in taking concepts, making pitch decks, understanding what the show would become, and then trying to green light them at a business. I mean, at a, at a network, I'm sorry. So that's what we needed. We needed someone, we needed these big ideas to come to life. And so, um, 
we hired a development producer from reality TV. We hired a few more creative directors and a lot of freelancers. And then we started developing a lot more concepts like brand wagon, like talking too loud, um, low views, high impact. We had, um, a better workplace, which is a podcast we had about, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. Um, the pandemic ended up disrupting a lot of what was to come, but, um, yeah, so I was, I, I worked with that team to get the right crew of people in the room and then sort of let them all, you know, to do the thing that they can do. Um, but it did take a lot of research to go talk to other businesses, talk to, um, you know, bigger businesses that publish a lot like vice and, and see how it is with their MailChimp and see how, how they were doing what they were doing. It always seems like it's those unconventional, you know, recruitment building teams that ends up kind of, it takes a while, but you end up knocking it out of the park. I, as you were describing that, I immediately thought of like shoe dogs, the Phil Knight book on Nike and just the types of people and personas that that company brought in, in the early days to make things happen. So when I see, I want to talk about just like getting into video and anyone that is out there listening, I told, I mentioned that we're starting that and it can be an overwhelming process. I like, if I'm someone who came into kind of the Wistia hemisphere by seeing one of those aspirational videos and was highly entertained by it, and that grabs my attention and I eventually explore like, oh, what Wistia can do or what or what we can offer. Like, I would imagine like, just like there's a huge disconnect from like, we want to go do that to like, this is how you get started with video. So maybe like talk, I'm sure you get a lot of people coming to talk with, to talk with Wistia just about getting started and how you can help. I'd love to maybe understand like how you view the customer and just like, what is that like ideal kind of like crawl, walk, run approach and in, to get into the video space? Totally. And, and to be clear, that big aspirational content, like the Wistia Studios things, like that's not what I would recommend for most businesses to start with whatsoever. I think for Wistia, we've had m- most of our content success and video success has been built on much more smaller, contextualized, really hardworking videos is what we call them. So yeah, I, uh, this is a great question. I, I sort of think of it, uh, how do I say this? It's like sort of through two lenses. One is like how, like crawl, walk, run, like where are you making a video? Like, right. And then the second lens I would look through is like, and who's making it? Cause I think that you can, you can, you can really mess up in both of those departments. So for crawl, for instance, if you've never made a video really before, that means that you, you probably have an understanding of your brand and you probably understand what that brand looks like. You probably understand what the voice and tone is in copy, but you don't know what it, how it comes to life in video what the pacing is like, what the music should sound like, who should it be, who should represent it? Is it an animation? Is it a person? Is it the founder? Is the founder amazing, but horrible on camera? So from a where should that video go? I would say internal. I think you should pick something internally, like there's an all hands or a big event that you, everyone's doing, or it's an anniversary of someone who's been in the business for eight years and try making a video where the audience is just your own company so that you're not like, so it's just way less scary than, than customer facing. And when on that second lens, I talked about like who should do it. I would imagine it's someone on your content team. Someone on your content team can think in video. And then there's probably someone else at the business who has a nice phone or they make videos, slideshows on the weekends to put their family stuff together, whatever it is. Those two people should partner and not worry too much and just try to do it. That would be like the crawl, like use the internal talent you have and make something internally. 
Does that, do you have any questions there? Should I move on to walk? Should we get to walk? <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a, I love the idea just about like the internal audience. And I think that's something we don't think about enough just as marketers. It's like, well, let's get like, let's get, whether it's video, whatever the thing is you're working on, let's get our internal team excited about this first before we go launch it publicly. And I think like for me, like the barometer has always been like, if the internal team can't, isn't going to get excited about this, then probably something's off because the market won't get excited about this. Totally. And, and it gives the people who are making it so much more permission to fail because it's like, it's not really like, if it's like, Hey, we're making a video to promote that you should all take like a employee engagement survey. Like if you get more people taking the employee engagement survey, then you should be like, Hey, video does something for us. And we're, we're good at this. So on, on walk, I think that's when on like, where should you put video? I would start looking at like, obviously content that you can be educational about areas that maybe you get a lot of support tickets about that you could maybe automate an answer or like we're starting to get into like key pages. Like, is there something on your product page that should explain your product or homepage is a little bit next level, but, but I think it's okay for walk. And in terms of how do you walk from making it I think you should probably try to partner with a freelancer. And I think it could be as simple as um, sort of a small, like like two person or one person, I don't know, wedding videographers that someone might know who can partner with a content person. Like I'm thinking lower budget here when I think walk. Um, it could be just a small video agency that can help you, you formulate your idea. Uh, it really depends on who's driving it at your business and how comfortable they feel sort of writing the script and organizing the day that you make it, right? But it doesn't take much more than that if, if, if you're making a sort of walk smaller stakes video. And then you can start experimenting, like how do you answer that support ticket? How do you make that explainer video? And really focus a little bit more on the language and the tone and the, and the shape of the video um, before you start really spending time and money on it. That's, that's what I would do. So, so with hiring an, a video agency or a freelancer on the outside, you know, I'm thinking about the 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 marketer at the company who knows they need to do video and wants to make it happen. We've all been in these positions before where it's like, all right, how do I justify and make the business case for for video and get get resources to and budget into that, knowing that hopefully this works, right? Hopefully we spend money the right way and this works, but still there's like this like a lot of hope. Like we don't know. Like, have you found just in just your experience or working, you know, with customers that like, it's it like, is there a, a better way to do that? Is it like, let's, let's take budget out of this tactic that we're doing that hasn't been effective and apply it over here? Or is there a good way to communicate with, you know, internal stakeholders about why money should be poured into video budget? I'd love to learn more from you on, on that end. Yeah. I get this question a lot and my answer changes a bit over the years. I think right now my answer is like, Video budget is almost a weird th- way to think about it. Like you have budget for paid ads and paid acquisition. You have budget for social. You have budget to work on your website. I think video is just a tool in the tool belt. And I know that it comes at a higher price tag, but I think that like if you're trying to prove impact of video, I think you need to tie it to where, what, what are you trying to do? So let's say it's on... Um, you have a page where it should say contact sales. You're trying to get more people to click a button that says, I want to talk to sales. What if you have a benchmark right now? And what if you put a video there and it's a very simple video that all your sales folks introduce themselves, 
they make them feel more like an actual human you're going to talk to and that they're going to help you. And suddenly that, that conversion rate is going up. That's like a better way of looking at it as opposed to like, um, if you're, if you're a, a company in a business that, that has a leader that needs that level of like, what's my return, which I, which I don't necessarily think is the best way to think about video, but I do think there are ways to take that approach. I think that you pick areas that you can actually drive impact or that have an expected impact and try to keep the budget kind of low. Yeah. That's, that's sort of how I've been thinking about it more late, more lately. That said, it's, it's hard because video is, and I think we talked a bit about this not too long ago that like, if you watch the first episode of Seinfeld, it's kind of weird. Um, everyone's kind of wonky and it, the, the edit feels weird. Jerry Seinfeld hasn't acted yet, clearly. Not that he gets much better by the end, but he gets very endearing. Um, and so I think that you also have to be, if you're just going to try it once, it's almost not even worth it because you have to understand that like getting to know who you are as a video is going to take some time. So, you know, picking that right area and being and picking a good timeline in which you're trying to make something work is, is also important. I love it. What's, what's, what's the run. Okay. The run could be some different stuff. It could, first off, it could be all of those same videos. It could be like a homepage video. It could be a sales video. But I think the run thing is, I would say the first thing, if you want to run, I think the obvious one is like you hire some fancy agency, you're paying a premium and they're coming in and thinking of your strategy. And they're like, telling you what to do. I think that's, I think that's a cool approach for certain businesses. If like they have an awareness issue and then they have a really good agency that matches with their brand and sure, that could be really, really great. Or you're launching a new product and you need something to splash. That said, like, I think the run strategy is you hire a video producer to work at your business Mm. and you find someone who is really values aligned. They are, they're there to experiment and you have buy-in from marketing leadership, you have buy-in from maybe customer success or sales. And people really do think that, hey, we don't just need one or two more videos. We think our brand can come to life in, in through video. And we think our customers will benefit from that. We're, we're down to take that journey. So I'm, I'm very cautious to not say run is like, you know, hire an agency, make the Dollar Shave Club video, become the biggest business in the world. Like that's, that's just not going to happen. I think running is walking into it for the long haul. If that makes sense. What, what are the, what are the, what are the signals that you, you get as a, a company that tell you as a, like a marketer, what are those signals that say, Oh, we need, we definitely need to bring in someone. We need to invest more energy in video. What, what are those internal signals? I think if you're starting to do video and this is an interesting conversation, right? Because I think there's certain bands, brands, like uh, let's think of Apple for a second as an easy example. If Apple were to like do for their next, do you watch Apple keynote launches when they like talk about Oh, their oh yeah. yeah. Perfect example. Because obviously we could talk about their commercials and all these amazing glossy things. Even their keynotes are like beautifully done. Like it's in this beautiful room, there's lighting, it's well organized. But if that was just like done over a Zoom call with like a crappy background, like it wouldn't fly. That brand is... It's on a pedestal. It has done all this amazing work to be, you know, looked at as a leader in design, a leader in innovation. So there's certain levels of their brand, even when being authentic, they can never go below, right? That said, like, let's say you are a, I don't know, you run like a executive leadership program and your businesses, there's 10 of you and you do workshops across the country um, to help people level up in management. If, if the message is actually more important and who you are as a human is more important, you could probably get away with maybe making a small video over Zoom. But what it really comes down to is, do you know 
how scrappy or glossy your brand can be in video. And I think if you have a hunch that it's higher than what you're messing around with, you probably need to hire somebody. Cause I do think um, you can get a lot of brands can get away with scrappy video. I don't want to say that they shouldn't. I think there's tons, like, I think what we're doing right now, recording over Zoom, like you could release it for the right people. They'd be fine with it. But for certain brands, like maybe that can't fly, you know, like, and, and so I think once you realize that the output of your videos is not aligned with who you think your brand or what you think your brand needs to be and how that message needs to be delivered, that's when you should probably talk to somebody about leveling that up. Because obviously a better script writer will make the video more efficient, more engaging, a better camera will make it more well, better looking. Some lights could, you know, those things do have a pretty profound impact, even at a small investment. There's been so much good information here and maybe we, we take it home with this one. So you, you've, you've been at Wistia for some time. You've been through the whole cycle of getting, you know, video from start to finish to where you're all at today. Video is, I think is, is, I don't know why, but it just seems like it's an overwhelming thing to get into and just get your, get, get going at, at businesses. Like, do you have a, a golden nugget or a, a big piece of advice that you'd say to anyone listening that knows they need to do video at their business, but um, is just struggling to get started? Yeah. Start making bad videos. Just do it. Like it's, it's, it's that simple. Like stop, like don't overthink what it needs to be. Don't put all your eggs in the homepage basket. Don't try by, don't start by running just like give some people some space to figure out how your brand comes to life through video or how you can tell your product story through video, try different scopes, try different people. But like, it doesn't take that much time to start experimenting. And once I mean, like we all consume so much video, like forget about your business for a second. Like, like you look at your phone all day long. We all watch Netflix all night long and Hulu people were all our friends are sending us videos. We're taking videos of our kids, our friends, kids. It's just nonstop that we're seeing this stuff. So I don't think, I think when you apply that scary business lens and don't get me wrong, I think businesses budgets are important and it can be scary to try something if, if, if it's, if you're not in the position to do that. But I do think with the way the technology is today with how accepting people are and they crave authentic people, they crave authentic conversations. There, there's a lot of spaces where you can not worry so much about the glitz and the glamour of a great video and just actually use video to show who you are. And so, yeah, my advice would be like, just give yourself the room to experiment and then make a decision. Don't try to like apply your marketing brain to it right away. Cause just cause you know, your brand, just cause you know, your tone, just cause you know how to build the right website. If it's new for you, it's new for you, no matter how much you know about marketing. And so just give yourself the permission to be a beginner for a second. And then once you get like your bearings, all the stuff you know that already makes you a marketing expert will be applicable, but just don't be afraid to start. I love it, Dan. This is a marketing podcast. You got to plug something Wistia related, or maybe it's even your next oh. record. I don't, I don't know. Where Where are we sending people? We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I would say um, I would check out uh, Wistia just put out a state of video report um, for this last year. We um, surveyed uh, a bunch of customers and looked at a bunch of video data that talks about all the video trends that are happening at businesses. So I think if you're sort of looking to get a little bit more of an understanding of how other businesses are thinking about video, what's on the rise, how people are measuring it, stuff like that, like I would definitely go check out that report. Um, our team worked really hard on it. 
it's really well done, really beautiful. And, and I think um, we also, of course, have, you can read it and download it, or you can actually just watch the report. We have someone just reading the whole thing on camera. And that was a new learning for us that people are actually down to watch an eight minute report be read to them over video, which is awesome. Um, but there you go. There's a little learning, very meta, but I would go check out the state of video report. I will certainly do that. And I'm going to watch, I'm going to actually watch the version of the person rating it to me. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. Dan, thank you so much. I learned a ton. Hopefully everyone out there did too. Take care and excited to continue to enjoy all the great content coming from the Wistia team. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is a blast. Whenever I am communicating with an individual who is in a similar role as me, but at a company with the brand recognition and magnitude of Wistia, I am always learning. These are my favorite kind of conversations and Dan brought it. Hopefully you learned something from him. Go check out what Wistia is doing. Go follow Dan. Enjoyed that conversation. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We will be back with more Modern Day Marketer next week.